Welcome to the James River Church Podcast. You're about to hear another inspirational message from Pastor John Lindell. It's our prayer that this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. Well, today is the day of Pentecost, or it's Pentecost Sunday, I guess I should say. Not the day of Pentecost, but Lord grant it. Give us a day of Pentecost. It's when we celebrate... It's actually 50 days. The word Pentecost, the Greek word Pentecostos, is 50, and it's celebrating 50 days since Jesus' resurrection. And it was on that 50th day that the Spirit was poured out in the upper room, that people were filled with the Spirit, and that the gospel began to spread around the world. That is the power of the Holy Spirit, that He empowered that 120 who were afraid, who had previously, just 50 days earlier, were locked, were in an upper room with the doors locked for fear of everybody. Now all of a sudden, they're filled with the Holy Spirit and they're sharing Christ with everyone with signs and wonders following. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, Jesus said, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Power. Power to witness, power to pray, and to see miracles happen, to see people healed. That's the power. And you and I need that power. If you've not been filled with the Holy Spirit, my prayer for you is that you would say, God, I want to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. I want that power. Part of the reason why we need it is because he wants us to be witnesses in the place where we live, in the places near where we live, in the places a little farther away from where we live, and to the ends of the earth, power to witness. So today it's really appropriate where the message is entitled, When God Says Go, that is Pentecost Sunday, and today God wants to empower every person a couple of weeks ago, I got this testimony. It was just such a great testimony. Lynn writes, my daughter and I were in a store in Springfield. A woman made a remark about the lookalike shirts my daughter and I were wearing that had the logo for a very popular Christian series. I felt like God was saying go. So I found her in the store, asked her if she knew about this show that tells the, about the life of Jesus. She immediately burst out in tears and said she had prayed for someone to tell her about Jesus, and we did. She accepted Jesus as her Savior right there in the store. Thank you for reminding us to go when God says go. Isn't that awesome? She's referencing a message that we talked about in Acts chapter 8, because when you come to Acts chapter 8 and Acts chapter 9, we're hearing the stories, we're seeing the stories of people, and we're watching God direct them as he talks to them. He's telling them to go. He's telling them to share the gospel, to share the good news. We saw it in Acts chapter 8 when an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go, go. He tells Philip, he's north of Jerusalem. He says, I want you to go on the road that goes south out of Jerusalem, and I just want you to be there because I'm going to use you. Philip doesn't know where exactly he's going to end up. 
He doesn't know who he's going to see. He doesn't know what is going to happen. Because honestly, when God says go, he doesn't give us all the details. But we can know this. When he says go, something good's going to happen, right? Then we read this in verse 29. The Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. And as he went there, he found that there was an Ethiopian official. And he was reading from the book of Isaiah. And Philip said, do you understand what you're reading? He said, how can I unless someone explains it to me? You're Jewish. Maybe you could help me. And so Philip shares with him the good news of the gospel. The man is saved, gives his heart to Christ, immediately baptized, and the Spirit of God takes Philip away, takes him to another place. It's a reminder to us that God wants to send us to people, and some of those people will have been searching for God. Just like that lady in the store, that almost seems hard to imagine, but there are a number of people around us, and they're looking for the Lord. They're searching for God. And God's going to say to you and I, I mean, for us to be talking about this two out of three weeks, it means God, this is his heart for us. This is his heart for you. This is what he wants to do. I know it's hard for some people to think of going and talking to people they don't know. People get scared. People tighten up. People are like, I don't know if I can do that. But when God says go, the best thing we can do is go. Some of those people are going to be looking for God. And then as we're going to see in Acts chapter 9, sometimes God sends us to people that we don't think would be interested in the gospel at all. God sends us to people we maybe don't want to talk to. People maybe we're afraid to talk to. But when God says go, the best thing we can do is go. As we come to Acts chapter 9, Last week, we saw the first nine verses. It's the story of the Apostle Paul meeting Jesus. Paul, you remember his name, is called Saul. That's the Hebrew version of the Greek version, Paul, same name. But Saul hates Christians. Saul breathes out, verse 1 says, Acts 9, murderous threats. It's, it's the air he breathes. Killing Christians, imprisoning Christians is what he's about. And he's going from Jerusalem up to Damascus in Syria. It's not enough to have arrested Christians in Jerusalem. Now he wants to do it in foreign countries. He has letters from the high priest to arrest, imprison, maybe even put to death people who are Christians. On the way to Damascus, the Lord Jesus appears to him. It knocks him off his horse. He is blinded. Jesus is asking him, why are you persecuting me? And Paul goes into Damascus, and for three days, he's fasting. That's where we pick up the story in Acts chapter 9 and verse 10. Because God's going to send a man that we don't hear a lot about, we don't talk a lot about, but he is a man that God uses in such a powerful way because he's the one who leads the apostle Paul to faith in Jesus Christ. His name is Ananias. And so we met an Ananias in Acts chapter 5. This is a different Ananias. It's a very common Hebrew name. It means Yahweh is gracious. 
But it's very, very interesting. As you read verses 10 through 19, what you find is six times in eight verses, Ananias' name is mentioned. So while it involves Paul's conversion, the story does, it's really about Ananias' faith and obedience. Number one, faith to believe that God can save anyone. And number two, obedience by going and talking to someone that he himself was afraid of. So let's look at it, verse 10, Acts chapter nine. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. We really don't know much about him. We learn a little more in Acts chapter 22 as Paul is giving his testimony and recounts his conversion. He says, a man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. In other words, he was a godly man. He was a Christian. And given what Paul says here, he was probably one of the very people Paul was going to arrest in Damascus. In verse 10, we read this, in Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias, and the Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. It's very interesting. God calls to him in a vision. In the book of Acts, and I would suggest to you the way to understand Acts is Acts gives us a view of what would be normative in Christian experience as we walk under the anointing and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. In other words, this is how life should flow for Christians. Christians should share Christ wherever they go. Christians should pray for people and see people healed. Christians should be full of the Spirit. Christians should hear from God with regularity. Now, God speaks to us in a variety of ways. He can speak through the Bible, but it's an error, and, and it would be unwise to say that is the primary way God speaks or the preferred way God speaks, I would say this, it's one of the main ways God speaks, but God can speak in a variety of ways. Hopefully, as you're reading the Bible, you also sense the Lord speaking to your heart about what you're reading in the Bible, right? So there's a still small voice. Sometimes God speaks by way of a prophetic word. And again, we're going to be talking about prophecy and how to understand that and how to function in that gift of prophecy. God can speak to you as somebody gives you a prophetic word. It could be a word of knowledge like Colin just shared. He could speak to you through a friend giving you advice and all of a sudden you realize God is talking to you. God can speak in a variety of ways. But one of the ways he speaks is by way of visions. It's very, very interesting. In the book of Acts, there are at least seven, possibly eight, depending on how you want to read one of the stories, where people are given a vision, and from that, God speaks to them. God speaks that way. You say, what's that look like? When It's different for everybody. I had one guy who told me it's like a TV screen that he sees over a person's head before he prays for them. God gives them a vision of what's going on in their life, and that shows him how to pray. Now, I've, I've never had that, but I don't doubt his experience because he's very effective in prayer. 
So God can speak in a variety of ways. He can speak in visions. He can speak in dreams where you have a dream and, and you know, not every dream is God speaking to you. But if you have a dream that you remember vividly that involves people and, and has to do with, with your walk with the Lord, their walk with the Lord, oftentimes I believe that's God speaking to you in a dream. He's showing you things. And you see that throughout the Bible as well. In fact, Peter says this, quoting the prophet Joel in Acts chapter 2 and verse 17, in the last days, and we're in the last days, they started when Jesus ascended to heaven, and we're at the end of the last days, I believe. God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women. So men and women are going to have visions, they're going to have dreams, they're going to prophesy. It's part of how God speaks to people. Here Ananias has a vision and Jesus is speaking to him. Look at it, verse 11. The Lord told him, go. Almost always when you, when you see the Lord speak in the book of Acts, he's telling you to go. I believe it's one of the primary things God says to us if we're listening is, I want you to go. I want you to go talk to that person. I want you to encourage that person. I want you to go pray for that person. God is sending us to minister, not just to one another, which is certainly appropriate, but to minister to people that don't know him. He says to Ananias, just like the Spirit said to Philip, go. He's saying, the Lord is saying, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. I don't know how much of this Ananias heard, because once he heard this, I'm sure he was beside himself. God is telling him to go pray for a man that Ananias knows is on his way to Damascus to arrest Ananias. God is saying, Ananias, I want you to go where he's at. God tells him where he's at. I want you to go and I want you to pray for him. And Ananias is, is thinking, what in the world? It's interesting. A lot of scholars believe the, the house of Judas on Straight Street, they, they, they believe they know where it is. And so it would have been on the west, so it's an east-west commercial street, even today in Damascus. In that day, it would have been 50 feet wide. There would have been Roman columns going all down the sides of the street. And on each side of the street were little shops and merchants. So it was a commercial thoroughfare. And Ananias, they believe, lived on the east side of town. So he's walking down this commercial street, headed to meet Saul. And all he's known about Saul until this moment is Saul is coming to arrest him. The Lord says, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street. Ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he's praying in a vision. He has seen a man named Ananias. Isn't this interesting? So Ananias is having a vision. Saul is having a vision, or Paul. You see, God is speaking to both individuals. And he's doing it by way of a vision. I'm just suggesting to you that the thing we want to do is say, Lord, I just want to be, I want to be able to hear you speak to me. You know, I, I, I get 
concerned at times when I have people that will tell me, well, here's how God speaks to me, and they've got it all figured out, and I think, uh, 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 boy, are you in for a rude awakening, because just about the time you think you've got God figured out, he'll show you you don't. So God can speak in a variety of ways. Don't ever limit how God wants to speak to you. Another thing that concerns me when people say, well, there's how God speaks to me is I'm concerned they're not watching, listening, or sensitive to the other ways God might speak to them. Because he speaks in a variety of ways. So Ananias has a vision. Saul has a vision. God might want you to have a vision. I, I really believe this is part of what God wants us to reclaim and recapture in our walk with him. Listen, Christianity, spirit-filled Christianity, is an invitation to the supernatural work of God in your life, through your life, for the benefit of others' lives. So in a vision, he's seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. I want you to notice, Jesus doesn't explain much here. He doesn't say, hey, Ananias, I want you to go talk to Saul and let me just let you know, I know you're worried about it. You don't have to worry because the dude was coming to Damascus and I knocked him off his horse. You should have seen it. The guy was, I mean, blinding light, the whole thing. And I've struggled with blindness and he is not going to lay a finger on you. Jesus doesn't say anything like that. It's a very minimal amount of information here. Here's what I love about Ananias. Without a lot of information, he just goes. You see, sometimes what keeps people is, we've got too many questions. Well, what about this? Or what if they say that? Or what if they get angry? Or what if they don't like me? Or what if? And if you have to have every question answered to follow the Lord, you won't go very far in your following of him. Because he's not going to give you any information. It's not what he does. He's not going to give you all the information. I mean, Abraham in Hebrews 11 and verse 8, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he didn't know where he was going. He, he's, Abraham's the founder of faith. He's the father of faith, Genesis, or Galatians 3 says. He's the model of how faith works. Faith at its core is going without knowing. Going because God said go. Stepping out because God said, I want you to step out. You don't have all the details, but you know that with the command that God gives is always the power to be effective in what he's calling you to do. If God's calling you to go, there's going to be a grace on your life as you go. If God's calling you to go, he's going to have gone before you to touch the person's heart to whom he's sending you to go. Here's Ananias, verse 13. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he's come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. He's saying, Lord, I don't know whether you've had time to get on the internet and check this dude out, but he's one bad guy. And I just want to let you know in case you didn't know what's going on. That's so like us, isn't it? We're like, well, God, you know, I'd go, but God, I, I want to, but I'm going to need a little more information. Or God, you don't understand. I could be really bad for my work relationship. God, you know, okay, we already have a little tension with us as neighbors. God, they don't like me in the first place. I mean, we can have all of these conversations. In verse 11, the Lord said to Ananias, go. Now watch what happens, verse 15. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. Listen, after all of his 
Lord, do you know? He said, he's doing this. This is what's up. This is what's happening. Jesus says, please, just go. And that's what he's going to do with every one of us. Our excuses, it's not that he doesn't care about him. It's just if we knew what he knew, we'd understand they're not important. That if he's calling us to go, he has a purpose in our going. And we can trust him with that. Remember, we talked a couple weeks ago about the doctrine of provenient grace. It's something that John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, used to preach a lot about. Essentially, what it says this is, when God calls you and I to go, we can rest in the fact that he's already gone before us. So if God calls you and I to go talk to somebody, pray with somebody, minister to somebody, share Christ with somebody, God's already been working in their life to get them ready for our sharing of Christ with them. You're not... You're not plowing ground that's never been plowed before. You're going where God has already broken up the heart of that person to get them ready to receive the ministry or the words that you're giving to them. In Acts chapter 9 and verse 11, the Lord told him, go. And he said in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias. Do you see that? God had already gone before Ananias was struggling because it was Saul. And he found it hard to believe that God could have been working in Saul's heart when Saul was as violent and as evil a man as he was. Sometimes we can think that God couldn't work in somebody's heart. Oh, that person, I don't, they, have, they never have any interest, and I don't know that God would have an interest in working in them. When the fact of the matter is, God can save anybody. And he loves everybody. And he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to everlasting life. So he says, go. Look at it. Acts chapter 9 and verse 15. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. He's saying, listen, go. There's a lot of things you don't understand, Ananias. You don't understand what I've called him to. You don't understand what I've been doing before this moment where I'm sending you, and you don't understand what I'm going to do after this moment, after he comes to me. Ananias, I have a plan for this man's life. Look at it in verse 17. I love this. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Talk about faith, obedience, courage. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul. Wow. Saul was coming to kill him. At the very least, to arrest him, to harm him. But he hears that Saul has come has had an encounter with Christ, so he's brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. I want to ask you a question. How important is the baptism in the Holy Spirit if the first thing Ananias talks to Saul about 
is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now listen, I realize there's people from, you know, honestly, from all kinds of backgrounds. So the, the thing about James River is probably about 20% AG background, 80% other backgrounds, no background. So I used to have uh, John Marshall over at Second Baptist. He would say we were the second largest Baptist church in town. So <laughs> he'd always laugh. But you know, there's some, and because you're not from a background that's Pentecostal, there's some, and, and I'm, I'm not saying this critically, I'm just, I'm just want to encourage you to give some thought to what could be, at times, they like, man, is this all he talks about? When did this happen? All of a sudden, this is all we talk about. Listen, I talk about it because the Bible talks about it. If the Bible talks about it a lot, I talk about it a lot. If the Bible doesn't talk about it a lot, I don't want to talk about it a lot, right? So I'm just saying, it doesn't, you know, sometimes we get caught up in where we came from and how we've been taught. And if a, if a church does not understand the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they're not going to talk about it. So you may be from a background where this was never talked about. But as we saw in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, this is the key to all power. This is power to go beyond ourselves. This is power to witness. This is power to pray for people and see them healed. This is power to see God use you and I in ways we could never see on our own. And I'm not saying uh, any believer can't go pray for somebody with effect. I'm just saying you'll see God do more in your life, exponentially more, when you're filled with the Spirit. You'll have a power in your life that you and I... It's impossible for us to have any other way than if the infilling of the Holy Spirit comes on us. Now, I realize as I'm saying this, there's some of you, and you, you've said, well, I've, I've asked God, I've not got it, so I assumed it was not for me, which is a mistake because the, the Bible says it's for everyone. It's for everybody. It's for you. The enemy wants you to think it's not for you because he doesn't want to see you get more powerful than you are. And then some people will say, well, I don't know, I've asked and I've not received. And, and then they think, well, because I've not received, I'm not gonna receive, which again, that's like saying, I haven't been healed, I'm not gonna be healed. Or to people you haven't seen saved, they're not gonna get saved. I mean, if you use that reasoning, you're, it, the enemy loves that kind of reasoning. You say, well, what do I do if I've asked and I've not received? Here's what I would say, go to Jesus, ask him. Have you gone to Jesus? Have you said, Jesus, why haven't I yet received? I believe he will show you. He is the baptizer, incidentally. He's the one who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. John the Baptist said that. So ask him because you need this. In the book of Acts, this is what they want. Philip preaches, people get saved, Peter and John come down because they haven't yet been baptized in the Holy Spirit. It's so important, they want them to receive right away. Chapter 9, Paul gets saved, Ananias comes and says, I've come to pray for you for you to receive the Holy Spirit. It's that important. Peter preaches chapter 10 uh, to a group of Gentiles. The, the Spirit of God falls on them. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul meets people, Acts chapter 19. Before he even knows much about him, he says, I just need to know one thing. Have you received the baptism in the Holy Spirit since you believed? It's that important. And I just want to encourage you, if it's that important, it's a gift God wants to give you, we do well to pay attention to the things God gives priority to in Scripture, whether we were raised that way or not. Now listen, let me just say this. I was not raised as symbols of God. I was not raised Pentecostal. I was raised in a mainline denomination. 
And I became a Pentecostal because at ORU, our class, they said, write a paper on what happens when somebody's filled with the Spirit. And honestly, when I read the, when I read the Bible, and they said, and there's no wrong answer. You can come up with anything as long as it's biblical, and you won't be, it won't hurt your grade. Through that, I became an ardent believer in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. In the last three years, the Lord's really, it was, sometime I'll tell you the story, but the Lord really touched my heart concerning the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I started praying for a greater baptism of the Spirit. I've been filled with the Spirit, yes, but I wanted to be refilled with a greater power. And I I'm just want to suggest to you that in the middle of all of that, Debbie and I, began to really spend more time seeking the Lord and asking God to do a greater work. And the result is, I'm not taking credit for what's happening here, but I'm saying that the church is never going to go beyond the leader, right? But it was out of that that everything that we've seen has happened since. If you talk about the Holy Spirit, you see more signs and wonders. If you don't talk about him, you see less. That's just how that works. So I'm not here to pound it into people, and I'm not here to, to rub it in somebody's face, and I'm not here to be obnoxious, and I'm not here to defend a denominational stance. Frankly, I'm not much of a denominationalist. I don't, uh, denominationalism, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm more of a, a Bible guy. If it's in the Bible, I'm about it. If it's not, I'm not. So, and I think that's reflective here. I'm not pushing a company line to you. So this is not, this is something I'm passionate about because the Bible's passionate about. And I want it for you so badly. So I hope you understand. My heart is, I just want you to have the power that you never imagined possible. I want to have you, I want to see you have the joy of not only leading people to Christ, but praying for people and watching God do amazing things. Amen. Well, enough said there. Okay, verse 18. Immediately. Something like scales fell from Saul's eyes. Literally, the word there for scales is like fish scales. So it's like he has fish scales over his eyes. So, you know, when he's blinded, his eyes watering, they're matted, they're matted shut. But now when Ananias lays hands on him and says, he's, God has sent me here for you to receive your sight, all he has to do is say that, and instantly the scales pop off Saul's eyes, and he could see again. And he got up, and he was baptized. In Acts 22 and verse 13, a little longer account, Paul says this, he stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. I mean, just the command, by faith, God has sent me that you might see. And when he says it, Paul sees. And then he said, the God of our fathers has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. Two things about that that I think anytime you and I go to someone, what we're offering them, what we're giving them is, first of all, in that moment when a person meets Jesus, they suddenly understand the purpose for which they were created. The Bible says this, in, in eternity before time began, God willed your creation. And he had a purpose for it. And apart from knowing Jesus, you'll never know your reason for living on planet Earth. You'll never really know why you're here. It's got to be about more than making money. It's got to be more about more than just 
having a, a safe life and having a family. Can it include that? Yes, but it's got to be more. There's an eternal dimension. You were created with a purpose in mind. And unless you know Jesus, and unless you're walking with Jesus, you'll miss the purpose of your creation. You'll think God wants, your life is about something else when it's really not. Ananias says, God has chosen you to know his will. When you come to know Christ, you come to know his will. In Paul's case, he says, and to hear words from his mouth. Many scholars believe what this is talking about is, we're going to watch in Acts chapter 9, Paul gets saved, and right away Paul's out there, he's preaching, and I mean he's making enemies left and right, so much so they're, they're going to kill him. In just a matter of, of days or weeks, I mean he's got people chasing him, they, they want to kill him. So at night they lower him down over the wall of Damascus in a basket, and Paul moves on. Paul says this, Acts doesn't, but Paul says for three years he was in Arabia. And the Lord Jesus personally taught him the gospel. It's a very interesting thing. And to hear words from his mouth. You'll be his witness to all men of what you've seen and heard. And now what are you waiting for? I love that. Get up. Be baptized. And wash your sins away. Calling on his name. You, you know what I notice here? Again, it's the idea of be baptized. You gotten saved, now what are you waiting for? Get baptized. You wanna hear what God is saying to you today? If you've given your heart to Christ and you've not been baptized in water, what are you waiting for? Get up, get baptized. I'm just telling you, in the scripture, baptism follows salvation immediately. You don't have to wait till you understand it. You don't have to wait till you're ready. You're ready if you're saved. You, to wait does nothing. To obey does everything. If you've not been baptized in water since you believe, get baptized. What are you waiting for? It's the model of Acts. And then watch this. And I'm going to point this out because this confuses some people. Be baptized and wash away your sins calling on his name. Baptism doesn't save you. Baptism doesn't wash away your sins. Wash away and wash away your sins. Wash your sins away. What modifies, what phrase modifies wash your sins away? It's calling on his name. Calling on his name is what saves you. Calling on his name is what washes away your sins. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Water baptism simply is a public declaration in obedience to Jesus of what he's done for you. It's saying, world, hello, I'm a new person. My sins have been forgiven. It's part of telling the world what he's done in you, but it certainly doesn't result in your sins being washed away. Verse 19, and after taking some food, he regained his strength, and Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus, and at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. As we wrap this up, I just want you to think about something here. Ananias is going to a guy that, as far as he knows, has come to arrest Christians, and especially to arrest Ananias, because he's one of the leaders in Damascus. 
he doesn't know that this guy he's gonna go pray for, God will use to write a third of the New Testament. In fact, he doesn't even know about a New Testament. He doesn't know that the guy he's gonna go pray for who hates Christians is actually gonna plant churches across Asia Minor. He doesn't know that the guy he's gonna lay hands on and say, receive your sight and encourage to be baptized and pray for to be filled with the Holy Spirit. He doesn't know that he's gonna carry the gospel into Europe. He doesn't know this man is gonna stand before Caesar and declare the gospel. He doesn't know that the apostle Paul, probably more than any other of the, of the apostles, is gonna be the one who changes Western civilization. He doesn't know any of that. He only knows that God told him to go, and he went. You see, I believe this. I believe God is going to send you and me, all of us, this next week and the weeks that follow. He's going to say go. If you're listening, he's going to say go. He's going to say go. And if we'll, like Ananias, in faith believe God has gone before us, and obey what God has spoken to us, we're gonna share Christ with people who are gonna do more for the gospel than you and I could begin to imagine. I believe we're gonna share Christ with people who are gonna change the world for Christ. I believe the next Billy Graham, the next Joyce Meyer, the next whoever you wanna name, who's mowing a wide swath for the gospel. I believe those are the people he's gonna send us to. I believe in a coming revival. Why? Because I'm praying for it and I believe it's God's heart. I believe in a great awakening. Why? Because I'm praying for it and I believe it's God's heart. But I also believe he's gonna send people into the fields. Some of them will be people maybe hearing this message today and others are gonna be people who will be reached because of this message. When God says go,